This podcast is brought to you in part by Shorewinder, the industry-leading tool for winding residential and commercial springs with a cordless drill. Let us shoulder the burden for you. And check us out at Shorewinder.com. Hey guys, Ryan here with Torch Talk Podcast. Did you know that I also run a marketing agency with the absolute best crew? I keep hearing from other garage door companies how their SEO company or their web design company is just not cutting it. We never hear that here. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we work really, really hard for you door guys out there. Check us out, suchandsuchmedia.com. You got the pricing and everything right on the website. Full transparency. And we're going to work really hard because you are the champion of your story. And we just want to be a small part of your success and celebrate it with you. Great customer service. Amazing web design. Phenomenal SEO that's going to get you ranked. Give us a shout such and such media.com. What's up guys, Ryan here with torsion talk podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. We, um, we've been recording a lot lately and, uh, I've been blessed to be able to get some different content than what we've been getting in the past. Uh, today, um, I'm really excited because, uh, I'm at a place in my life where we're writing, like, I know I've explained to you guys, we're doing a lot of SOP stuff. We're, uh, putting a lot of like processes in place. And, uh, when you think about that and how it's going to affect your business and everybody's on the same page, um, and seeing it off the same sheet, it, it is a glorious thing. And, it eventually gets to the point where the business owner just oversees everything instead of having to be the guy for everything. If you are getting phone calls every day about everything associated with your business, then this is going to be the podcast for you. You need to set systems and processes in place. And I've got the perfect person to talk to us about that. I got Al Levy on today. How are you, Al? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's uh subject of great passion to me about, you know, uh, I was not that bright <laughs> and people give me a lot more credit than I deserve, Brian, but you know, uh, I fell in every hole that there is out there as a business owner. And when I climbed out, I said, well, that hole really hurt. I'm not going back <laughs> in that. And unfortunately, I am sure you've seen the same thing is people fall right back in the same hole. And the hole we're speaking to today is thinking you can run your business by talking and the second bad thing you can do is create memos. So when I would go to contractor companies all around the world, including ours originally, on the wall is all those little memos, you know, and, and you can just tell that they're just yelling at their staff, you know, clean up after yourself. Your mother doesn't live here, you know, put all your stuff away. And, and you know, my brothers and I, we, we did the same thing. It's not like, a, oh, we're so smart. You're not. And um, we would write up these memos. And the story I always tell is my brother Richie and I would always be the last two techs of 25 standing. And we'd be in the in the office, usually like 2 a.m., which is where you have your best conversations at 2 a.m. I was the one that could type and Richie couldn't. So he says, could you put a memo? Because this guy did this. And I go, I sure can. And we type it up. And then he'd look at it and he goes, pretty good, but can you make it tougher? So then I would put it in caps because we're not kidding. And then he goes, like it? Do you have anything else? And I go, yes. And then I would put it in color and then plaster it on the wall as if that made a difference. 
And it wasn't until I went to a great course that explained the power of signing, that unless I sign initial, whatever, it's really worthless. Oh, and yeah. so I made the horrible mistake one day of saying, you know what, guys, bring in all your memos. And they were crumpled up in like a little ball or ripped or six times out of date. And uh, I handed out a memo, simple one, stuff I thought that they knew. And it was the first time anybody said, oh, what am I signing? Because <laughs> I knew they actually, and it goes to what we've been taught. You know, when we were yeah. young, I don't care who you are, your parents say, you don't sign anything until you have a lawyer look at it, right? And so that's when you start to pay attention. It, it was always one-way communication, and that was something that's lacking. And then getting back to the verbal, I know we're busy. I was you. I yeah. get it. But the reality is when you hand it off badly, which is trying to rely on verbal and memos, it's a problem. And that is where the birth of operating manuals, we finally came to a point where we just couldn't take it one more time. It was, you know, the movie Groundhog Day many years ago really kind of said it every day. We just kind of woke up to the same thing. And what it really was talking about is we were busy putting out the fire that we thought we had out yesterday that was going to break out again this time. And that was really a seminal moment in our company that changed things. That's good. So uh, before we deep dive too deep, because I know we have some people drop off towards the end. I do want to give a plug to vertical track event. You're going to be speaking at it, right? I will. I will. I'll be speaking at it. Um, we're uh, it's November. What's the dates? November what? Um, I, the actual, I think it's November 3rd to 5th. The, uh, the actual delivery of the content, I believe is the 4th and the 5th. Okay. Um, I'm excited to go. Uh, anything Tommy does, he doesn't do it halfway. <laughs> no, um, he doesn't. You can expect this to be a big event, uh, be fun, educational. Um, I view this as kind of like if you enjoyed virtual door dealer conference, I think you're going to really enjoy this uh, because it is in person, uh, which we didn't do, obviously. Uh, it's lacking some of the uh, intimidation of the technology that you don't have to deal with. You just sit your bottom in a chair and listen and ask questions um, and uh, get to tour his facility. I mean, he's... He's really opening up the door. And then he says he's got some plans where he's going to be doing some announcements and uh, teaching people how to get uh, product right now when things are hard and just all kinds of stuff. He's got a, a, a with the exception of probably me, uh, he's got a huge lineup of extremely intelligent people who's going to be doing some uh, delivering some content. That's uh, yeah, that's there's no question. Guys like Joe Cassara, but you know, we, we, he really got across the spectrum of what I talk about is the seven powers, you know? Yeah. And uh, I worked with Tommy for those who don't know. Yeah. And so these manuals, these systems, you are not a guinea pig. First of all, you're not a guinea pig because that's what was at my company. And my company was started in 1936. It's now on to the fourth generation. It's also a case of, I've done this in so many industries, including ones that I've not in the garage door business was, was done with Tommy and that office. If you, you, you got to go just to see the building because I helped design that building. And it was based on what I had already learned from my 35 to 40 times building things. It's designed based on the org chart. Listen carefully to what I just said, because I had a building, you know, it was handed down my dad, my uncle, and it was two stories and disconnected and everywhere else. And 
finally learned, you know, when we met, we had one good chance when we moved to another location because urban renewal kind of wiped out our service area is that where you sit in the building and the more visual accountability you can have, the better things go. So people who work with me and go through this process when I was doing one-to-one, one of the things we did is they realized, well, whoa, whoa, people are sitting in the wrong place. Techs are walking in. It's all of these bad things. So Tommy's building is a good example of who sits where based on a, first of all, it's the box org chart. Then it's the depth chart. But the chart that tells where you should be sitting is really the flow of communication. Who do I need to be speaking to most often? And that really helps the team come together. Yes, I know we work more remote today. We have to. Yeah. And uh, things with Zoom and the rest of it. But there is still a time, and I'm a big fan of FaceTime, but I'm also a big fan of face to FaceTime. Yeah, me too. So, <laughs> those are, yeah, I mean, those are managed, things you're going to say. I manage 25 salespeople uh, all over the country with only one being local. Uh, it was very complicated. But what we did learn was uh, when I flew out and spent time with them, one-on-one production over the next three months went up like 30, 35%. I, I don't even, it's not even a doubt to that. Yeah. No so doubt whatsoever. You can do a ton of things. And like I said, with my online program, it, you know, they're having great success. And uh, by all means, again, because here's the dirty secret. If you have one page of operating manuals and you had zero yesterday, you are already better. Yeah. I have manuals that are obviously been time tested and, you know, and been edited for contractors of all type, but it's, it's really, you know, the things people always go, uh, they really want the garage door manuals. Now I'm not saying that they're not important than they are, but if you're a member of IDA or whatever, there's really good stuff out there. That's not the biggest thing that you need for SOPs. You need to be able to have your CSRs answer the fall the calls and be like a happy hostess in a restaurant and made you feel like good, like I made this call, right. let you know that when Al, the great tech shows up, your garage door is going to work better than it ever did before. And if there's any problems, we're coming back. And then the dispatcher and the service manager working together because they're near each other, maximizing the billable hours during the course of the day and getting all that information out. Did? Can I share with you what we yeah, did? Sure. And you tell me how we could have done it better or different? Um, because I, I, I'm working with people on how to get started on this. And that's the biggest part, in my opinion, is getting started. Oh, yeah. So the one thing is uh, I pulled together like the heads of each department and I said, hey, listen, we have gaps. Uh, we've outgrown processes. We're going to start from scratch based on what we're working with now. Forget everything we've done to date. What we want to do is build this from the ground up and exactly how we think it would work better. So this is your opportunity for if I'm asking you to do something in the back of your head, you're telling me, oh my God, there's so many better ways to do this than this right here. Now's your chance, right? So um, I had all of them kind of work together and build out a flow chart. Uh, we basically took Google Slides, built boxes with arrows and like, you you know, if this, then here. Yeah, if this, that, that's how I learned to be a tech all those yeah. years ago. So we literally just uh, like each SOP took up one page. I didn't want it to be overly complicated. We wanted to simplify everything. I wanted as few amount of people to touch the process as possible. So if you touched it once, we're going to try to go back to you if it makes sense instead of bringing somebody else in. And then what we did was um, we we once we did that, we showed them, okay, this is what you do. Now we're going to build a manual on how you do it. 
So yes. we're going to break down each box for each person. And um, so we've got two versions of it. Uh, we actually have one that shows the whole scope from beginning to end on how we sell a door uh, all the way to install, how we, um, how we do repair from phone call to it for, to repair. Um, like we go warranty, um, warranty call in versus warranty on site. So we've got all these options, right? But, but then on the back side of it, uh, we printed out, we uh, strategically figured out like who was getting one. And then we had only their steps on that one. So, uh, so they didn't have to look at all the steps everybody did. So it's two-sided. One is steps everyone does on that process from beginning to end so they can understand the whole flow. The other one is just their steps. And then we're going to actually go in there and break down each one and, and write about how you do each one uh, because we're just writing what. And it was fairly simple. Um, I think we had probably two planning meetings. We had like the original planning meeting where we wrote out uh, what we thought it should be like on a whiteboard, took pictures, erased it. And then I had them pick it apart and, um, and, and make it better and find gaps and, uh, and then build it out uh, in Google Doc or in Google uh, Slides. And then uh, we checked it, double checked it. And then we said, you know what? This doesn't have to be perfect right now. We're going to find if there's issues with it. Um, because what we've identified is, is that as we grow, we're gonna have to update this thing. And so we, we named it a version. So we gave it version, uh, one, uh, and a date on when we created it. And we said, you know what, when we uh, outgrow a process or we need to adjust it, we'll change it, update it, send it out, print it out. Uh, what we did was we printed it out and then, um, laminated it and gave it to the team. Um, and so that's how we did it. And I'd like you to speak to the process. Um, and then also the other thing is there, there were times where it was really uncomfortable for me as, as an owner, uh, because I've always kind of done things a certain way. They challenged some things and I thought that the way they wanted to do it might not be as good as the way that I wanted to do it, but I let them run with it anyway. Um, but I still think that it's a really good way of doing it. And I've actually been proven since we rolled it out that their way was better, but it's uncomfortable because we're kind of stuck in our way sometimes, right? As business owners. Yeah. We, we can see things a lot of times that, that a lot of people can't see because we're looking at the whole picture, but at the same time, we're also not in that position every single day, figuring out what's right and what's wrong uh, with the processes. So can you speak to a little bit of the uncomfortableness for business owners to actually go through this process, how to get started and then the process? Yeah, you know, it is a lot that you uh, you rolled out there. So at the end of this, I believe there are many paths to success. And uh, if it's working, that's the metric that we use. So congratulations for what you've done. Uh, for myself, you know, we have to hop into DeLorean, go back to 1996. <laughs> and uh, that's when, you know, I started this whole process. And where it came from is multiple things caused it. But one of the main things was I walked in one day in a cold sweat from having not slept that night, saw my dad and my brothers, and we were in an office really about the size of this, as big as this office you're looking at. And the reason why is my dad always stresses, we don't make any money with you sitting here, go out and do something. And so um, I just walked in and I said, you know, I woke up today thinking they could all quit and I'm sick of being a hostage. And they said, yeah, we are too. What are you going to do about it in the most New York way you can? And I said, I don't know, but I just read this book, you know, E-Myth, and I'm going to figure it out and we're going to get this thing under control. And that was my commitment to build systems and then start taking 
really good people we already had and make them better with good systems rather than trying them to overcome broken systems or no systems. And then ultimately what I did is be able to know that I could take young, willing people who had no skills and build them my way, which was the goal. And that's how I happily put myself out of the business. Yeah. So I have been trying to write manuals for a long time. One of the famous thing was I, I had an employer employee handbook. I was in New York City union shop. I went to court and figuring, oh, well, I got this pretty covered. Look at that thing. Go in, the judge looks at it and goes, this is not in plain English. The average person wouldn't understand it. Are you running meetings on it? Do, do they actually read it? And I go, no. And he goes, case dismissed. And at 25, I was crushed. But it was a good thing because I learned my lessons. Not in plain English, not going through all the time. It's not worth, in those days, paper. Today, it's all digital. Anybody who's got a tablet, we don't even bother printing up the menus anymore. We distribute it along OneDrive, Google Drive, Dropbox, so we can control the permissions and who sees what. And so what we did was I hired a, you know, I hired a really great industry writer, my good friend, Dan Hollihan, uh, because Dan said to me, he said, I know you, Al, you're going to sit at your office and type up the Ten Commandments and try and enforce the law in a New York City union shop. Good luck with that. And I turned to him and I go, well, you're so smart. What should I do? And he goes, hire me. We will run meetings where the CSR dispatcher tech. And that's what I always call the triangle of communication. The strength of that triangle of communication, those three manuals being built and integrated together, not plucked off the Internet or someplace else disconnected, is where most companies I've ever been to. And they're good companies. If we get those in right, the companies become good to great, as they like to say. And great. that's really where I fix it. Now, all the other manuals are great. Favorite book, plug real quick. If you guys have not read Good to Great, stop everything you're doing yeah. right now and go read that because yeah. I, I honestly believe that that book, uh, one, defines what a leader, sh leader should be like, um, yeah. and two, um, helps with strategy. Um, it talks about some of the companies that – have failed in some of the companies that have been successful and what makes the successful company successful versus the big companies that have failed. And so a hundred percent, definitely stop what you're doing. This is, this would be the most important thing that you do as a leader, in my opinion, go read that book. That, that an e-myth, if you've not read e-myth, you know, then you don't understand well enough about, you know, because for me, it was a big thing was, and I'll give the quick takeaway, which was, if you're always working in the business and never on and nothing's really going to change. I mean, that's really pretty much the seminal moment of the whole thing. And so, you know, these things were really the, the, the genesis of it. Now, I was really great at sales and marketing. And as I always share, my team was really great at blowing them up, which is why I became so good at all of the things that, you know, planning, operations, staffing, sales, sales, coaching, marketing, finance, those seven things that I always talk about. And so we put these uh, systems together. Same like you, we didn't have anything more than a page because if it was going to be more than that, then what's the point of, you know, you're not going to bring a whole tech manual into your, like in your case, Springs. Yeah. So that's not what it's been. Because what's the concept that I went with all these years ago is, and at that point we had 25. And if we sent 25 guys an hour from our shop in drive time, which is not hard to do in New York traffic, is that, you know, could they all get to a call and pretty much do it the same way? That's the essence of it. It's not like, Oh, you never did garage door business. Here you go. Here's the manual. Have a good day. That's not how it's supposed to go. Right. And whether it's so the manual is a way more than that. The accounts receivables ability to, 
you know, enter a bill, to know you're aging, all of the things like that, accounts payable person, to payroll, pay taxes, pay vendors. Uh, apprentice, what do they do when they arrive, you know, because they're supposed to be the guys that are gonna go out and rise up your org chart. You know, apprentice, the junior tech, junior tech, the senior tech, senior tech, the field supervisor, service manager if necessary, or shift out and become your next big ticket salesperson, which I call system advisor. And so these are things, is so many more boxes. And that's why where it really starts and where the big turnaround for us was the right flat box or chart, which is part of my program, which is all of these manuals, part of that program. But it doesn't matter which one you buy, you're always going to start with the triangle of communication because that's the most real quick. Yeah, I agree. Have you ever um, heard of Zappos? I heard of the shoe uh, Zappos. Is that what you're speaking to? Yeah. So yeah. I, I thought they were a shoe company too, but they are not yeah. a shoe company. So don't say that to them. Um, but they, uh, they're well known for kind of reinventing the org chart. I don't know if you've, um, the, uh, the CEO actually died recently. Uh, I think it was about six months ago, um, got burnt up in a house, um, somewhere in the Northeast, but they have, um, their headquarters are in Las Vegas and, uh, he wrote a book, um, about org charts and, you know, leadership and incentivizing employees. Uh, one of the things that I thought was cool is that he actually, I actually don't think it's cool. It's actually really weird, but it's interesting because I'm all about like psychological, uh, psych- the psychological impact of things when you do things outside the box. And in this scenario, he actually did a horizontal org chart, which I've never like thought that that could work, but apparently it does there. Um, and they did some really weird stuff. Like another thing that they did was, um, uh, I, after- I'm going to jump in a second. Yeah. Yeah. I had a hard, I had, a, I, mine is like that and really flat. Is it? Yeah. It's, it's like that. It's always been like that. There isn't all the fancy CIO, CTO, CEO, yeah, yeah. CFO. I'm not interested. Layers and it's not, in, not interested. Yeah. And I've worked with companies that are a hundred million. Now I do this org chart, but then I'll run into somebody like Tommy who takes my org chart and turns it into a cone. You know what? I don't care as long as the reporting order is the same, as long as it works the way it is. Here's what's important, Ryan. You are never my guinea pig. I did it. I know it works. And I've been out on this now for 20 years doing this work, not just with PHCE companies, plumbing, heat, including electric. I've worked with everyone, including a condo builder. That's what it takes. So I'm not saying that your org chart is wrong. And I'm not saying there's a different org chart. And I'm not saying Nordstrom, who said, well, just do the right thing. Okay, it works for them. Congratulations. Like I said, there's more paths to success. But I know, like I know, like I know, this works. Yeah. (laughs) That's what you out there need to know. What's the number one position that you think a medium to large size garage door company is missing what what's the number one position that they need the most i think they need all the boxes that are on that org chart and they go well it's just me whoever it is small and i'm just one guy says i don't care your name is in these boxes and it's even in the biggest companies don't have a person for each of those boxes and when you do a depth chart your name is in multiple places Uh, it's not like i at 20 years in to the business 25 years in i still ran plumbing, heating, cooling, electrical calls. I just was the last guy out, not the first guy out. And I like to keep my hand in it. And I like to show the guys I could still do it. And I, same thing on selling big tickets. 
when they would tell me that, you know, you can't sell for that price. I go, I hear you get in my truck today. Let's go. So, you know, it's, it, this idea about, well, when I get big, that's when I'll do it. You're absolutely a hundred percent wrong, wrong. It's that org chart and your name in all those boxes. But what I will shift to Ryan is there are two boxes, no matter what size company you are, that you, the owner must fill. One is financial manager, because it's your money. You need to know beyond a shadow of doubt, not just accountant accounting. And I was having this discussion on Facebook yesterday. You have to know what Ellen Rohr teaches, which is real world accounting, which is a tax accounting is great. Helps you minimize your taxes, helps keep you out of jail, <laughs> helps you postpone taxes. That's really important, but it's like driving, as she talks, financial car, looking out the rear of a window. What she teaches is the art of budgeting, getting to KFP, known financial position, knowing what the right selling price is. That is all about real world accounting. So you can run that business today and make good financial positions. You don't have to create the numbers. You don't need to do it, but you got to know that those numbers are right. I worked with a big condo company, 85 million, and it had shrunk and he didn't know what was happening. Well, it turned out all his vice presidents were were lying to him. And so that was one of the problems because that's where I talk about too many people in the way. And so I made him sign the checks for the next six months because he needed to know the flow where the money was. But here's the great news. It turned things around. A lot of things turned it around. Ryan, he refused to give it up. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're running a big company. You cannot be signing every check. Now, but it is your job to spot check what checks are going out. It is your job to know what percentages are getting weird. That's your job as financial manager. And moving over to the next one is marketing manager. I don't expect you to create the next campaign. I don't expect that you know how to show to shoot a television ad or a billboard. Your job is to know how to make the right amount of calls from the right customer at the right time, the three rights of marketing, because it is your money and you have to put enough money in that fuel tank to make this go and you need to allocate it properly. And Then you can either have it in-house if you're big enough or you have outsources that are big enough, but you set the metrics. You got to know who your unique uh, selling proposition. You got to know who your target audience is, because if you don't, nobody else is going to be able to help you on that. So yeah. if you ask me what the, for an owner, those are the two most important boxes. What, what were the two boxes? Financial manager and the marketing manager. Okay. I dig it. I agree. I think those are good. Um, so I, I feel like I have a little bit of an advantage um, when it comes to starting companies, which is probably why I've started so many. Um, I've got a marketing and sales background. Um, it's a big help. I big suck help. at financials. Um, <laughs> I've gotten better. Um, Get a good but, coach. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm looking. I'm looking now. Actually, uh, trying to find somebody instead of hiring like a CFO because I'm. I'm probably yeah, not. No, that's not what I'm speaking to. I'm yeah. thinking about getting yourself good at at this thing I was just talking about budgeting, yeah. Ryan, because you got to own it. We're As looking at switching it up. You bring other people in, but then you have a better shot when they start to try and snow you under you know what's going on. Yeah. So we're looking at switching from cash basis to accrual basis. Um, and then I've got my department leads, um, leaders building budgets, uh, on quarters and then we're reevaluating and then I'm building my plan off of that. And so, um, 
it's not perfect yet, but we're working on it and it's not easy and it takes a lot of time. Um, but I feel like if you're not doing that, how do you know what to charge and how to do what you do? Uh, yeah, no, to- totally agree. And and by the way, again, like I, I, not me so smart um, for years and years, you know, our business, like I said, was around a long time. And we just figured if we work hard, the money would show up, which is the stupidest thing ever done. You know, it's, it's what happened is it, we didn't do budgets. At the end of the year, the account would walk into the office and go, we had a great year. Go buy stuff, give yourself a bonus. And we liked that. Of course, the next year when they walked in and go, the year wasn't that great. We have to make sure the statements look good for the bank and everything. You guys aren't getting paid. So I hope you have money in your own bank account. It was operating our business with blindfolds. Well, uh, lucky for me in the 90s, I got, you know, fell in with what was the forerunner to Nexstar. And that's when I met Ellen and the rest of it and realized the power of budgeting and where you plug your numbers in. And it becomes really like, you know, it's kind of if you have a flat rate book, it's the same idea as a flat rate book. Yeah. Flat rate book is just a good wild ass guess. And then the more you put your numbers back in, the more it becomes a reality, even on install. You know, what we learned a long time ago, and this was one of those stupid conversations at 2 a.m. with my brother, and I just said, I don't need any more practice giving estimates. I'm really good at giving proposals and really good at install, but we're not making the money that I want. So projected material, act projected labor, gross profit desired, commissions built in. That's what the salesperson has to sell. And we were the salespeople a lot of times. And then we have to turn it over the right way to the installers so that they know what is projected for both of those things and how much time they have and what they need to do and how do they have to commission up the job, which is just fancy language for starting. So then in the office, they looked at actual material, actual labor, actual gross profit. Did we win or lose? Which what we call is green light and red light. And so that, that really job by job, that changed for us. And also, by the way, going back to the org chart, because until we had a sales manager who sat above both the sales wing and the install wing, things never went the way it should have gone. And that turnover issue was always the problem because the salespeople were only interested in sales and the installers were just interested in getting it done. And that was a very big problem for us that got solved in a really good way. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Good, man. How are you, Roman? Doing great. I just wanted to reach out and let you guys know how grateful I am that Somer has been a sponsor of Torsion Talk. Yeah, fifth season already. We've had four really good seasons and a lot of good success for us. That's great to hear. At this point, though, I think everybody's pretty much heard of you guys that follow the podcast. What do you think we could say to make your ad stand out for season five? Well, I think we've been working really hard on customer service, making sure that our team and everyone knows all the technical things they need to know to make sure we get uh, the best and quickest service to both homeowners and dealers. Um, We've also been putting a lot of stuff out there to improve product knowledge so that customers know how to, or so dealers and technicians can know how to troubleshoot or know, you know, what all our operators are capable of, because there's a lot of stuff, even stuff that's not in the manual. And um, we're continually improving the product. We've had a couple of new software releases in the last year. Um, we're continually adding additional accessories, and we've got some even new operators in the pipeline that we're excited about. So you guys got a lot going on. That is great. Am I allowed to talk about how awesome you guys have been through all the shortages and price increases? You guys have been like steady Eddie. 
Like you didn't skip a beat, no quality issues to my knowledge or anything. Well, summer is a German company. You know, we, we do things slowly, but we're, we try to do them well. That is super true. You guys have a great team and I am so thankful and proud to have you guys as a sponsor of Torsion Talk. Hey, Torsion Talk family. If you haven't tried Somer yet, I challenge you to reach out and start a conversation today. Not only is the product great, but Roman and his team are super knowledgeable. I can call him and troubleshoot or just ask advice because he's been in my shoes. If you're ready to chat with the team at Somer, call 877-766-6607. Bifolding overhead doors are simply cool. Therefore, if you install one, you too are cool. All kidding aside, Swice makes the best bifold door on the market. So when you have an opportunity to sell a bifold, check them out first. As a matter of fact, bifold security doors are hot right now. If you check out their website, bifold.com, you can see hundreds of ideas on how businesses are using bifold doors. They have tons of photos on their website. They've supplied doors, bifold doors, for restaurants, basketball stadiums like Golden One Center in Sacramento, retail stores, and even spectacular homes. These doors are a game changer and a statement piece. If you want a project that will draw attention, sell Schweiss door. Tell them Ryan with Torch Talk Podcast sent you. Visit bifold.com. That's B-I-F-O-L-D.com. So I talked to a lot of business owners and, and employees of businesses and in the garage door industry. And they talked to me about how like their businesses run a little bit like the wild, wild west. And when I confront these business owners and I tell them, this is, this is what your employees think, right? Like they think that there's a lack of processes. Everything's got to run through you. Um, well, the root of it is control, fear, fear and control, right? Those two usually yeah. go together. A, a, a fear and control of the owners, right? Right. Um, yeah. and so oh, I totally agree. So business owners, it's scary. And I'm, I'm very like empathetic toward, towards this feeling of, listen, if I, if I let go, uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but if I stay in control, I know I, I can keep continue going down the same path. But, but the problem is, is that that path doesn't grow. It just stays the same. It may grow a little bit, um, yeah. but eventually. You're, yeah. No question about it. You're going to run out. You're going to run out hours in a day, days in a week, weeks in a month. And I've worked with, I, there's only two types of companies I've ever worked with, Ryan. Either there are these small entrepreneurial guys who can work forever, but they run out of, like we said, hours. They can't clone themselves. They can't scale themselves. So that's why they brought me in to put these systems, which is the foundation for their beautiful home that they can build on. The second one are guys who are great growers. They're just a monsterly big shop. They know how to do great marketing or, you know, they're in great demand. And the problem is every time the phone rings, it's gasoline to a fire that because they don't know how to handle it. Yeah. So even they need the same systems, if you will, so that they can learn how to maximize each call, dispatch the right way, have the techs run to the job doing the right thing. And then, the, you know, all of the other departments that, that it takes to run a business, especially as you get bigger and bigger. But the, the thing that really gets in the way, let's talk a little leadership if we can. Yeah. Because I was in that role is, you know, <clears throat> one day I was riding around and I always like to say how old it is. So I'm just going to get it out there. I was in the truck with my good friend, Dan, who was uh, lucky enough. He was the best guy in, in the complete heating industry. And 
my pager is going off and my phone the size of a bread box and the two-way radio and they're all looking for me and he turns to me because he was always great at holding up the truth in her and he looks at me and he goes you think that's normal don't you and immediately i thought this ryan i go yeah it's normal and i hate them all for doing it and then I or took a it, you, it makes you feel needed that's where i was going yeah and next and after i i stopped and i put i leaned back like look how important i am and so i was attached to three identities i liked being the rescuer which meant ride in like the calvary be the rescuer i liked being the guru you don't know ryan i do would you like to know ryan well come see me i'll give you the information yeah and the last one i was talking about earlier which is the fireman as a little boy i wanted to be a fireman you know you grow up in new york that's what you want to do like putting so, fires out yeah well here's what's worse we subconsciously set the fires if they're not there. And yeah. some of the way we were set fires was we didn't give the guys enough information, everybody. And I'm talking about like, so we did residential, commercial, industrial. So when people go, well, I'm not just a residential company. And I go, well, good luck. Neither was I, residential, commercial, industrial. And I said, you know, so we did big high level uh, heating equipment, boilers that were monstrous. And the only people who went to that training was Al, and his brother Richie. And then we had crews on, crews, not on call. And they would get to this big job and not know what to do. So what do they have to do is they had to wake up either Al or Richie. And we were mad at them. But of course, later on, as we got through the manual process, we realized it was us. We didn't tell them to check the, how to check the fuel. We didn't teach them how to check for air and spark before they called, right? Mm -hmm. And so once we did, 50% of our wake up calls went away for just doing that. So you asked me about the power of manuals, and that is just one instance, just one, yeah. one instance. It's not always about the technical. So um, Ryan walks in, he goes, you know, uh, I, I heard what you said yesterday. It's really important to have the right uniforms. So we make the right impression, differentiate ourselves. Where do I get these uniforms? And I tell you, next day. Al, I, I know you said where those uniforms go, and I really know it's important, but I had a fight with my spouse, and I really just couldn't listen. So where do I get those uniforms? So here's my friends, is what I always say is, if you are willing to play answer man, everyone on your team is willing to play question person to the day you die. Yep. So if you tell me you don't have time to create manuals, and you don't have time to systematize, well, tell me how you have the time to do all this. Because I'll tell you where your day goes. You can goes. either answer the question a thousand times or you can block a day off and figure it out and print it out. Yeah. And then train them on it. Yeah. All right. I'm going to make it hurt a little bit more because we're talking. I had a 40-foot dumpster. Sound familiar to all you guys? And of the 40 feet, they always filled the first 10 feet and left the 30 feet unfilled, right? Because human nature is they're not going to knock themselves out. So I brought them all out, ran a class, did the whole thing, shot a video of them. And I just be aware, there's a camera out here. And I said, I'm not spying on you. But if I find you doing this again, we are going to write you up. So this changed this thing about having a dumpster that's really worthless. And I, I actually, the, in your orientation, every one of the dumpsters was labeled. Every place where you put the stuff in which dumpsters was labeled and photos. So you were trained off and people go, well, that's kind of crazy. No, it's not crazy. 
it's the kind of crap that you have to deal with unless you deal with it proactively. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think the, the, the business owners, a lot of times, if you've done a good job hiring, you can get out of the way and build the processes, do a good job hiring. And recently, like, I feel like now more than ever, we're in the people and money business. Like you can interchange what we sell, how we do it, but ultimately it's how good of people do you have and how do you make your money and what do you do with the money? And so uh, I've been kind of changing my mindset a little bit like, okay, we make money now what? So what do I do with this money? Do I put it back in the business? Do I invest it? Do I buy another company? Talk to me a little bit about, I know Tommy's really big about investing uh, back into the business, acquiring stuff. Talk to me a little bit about uh, if, if you are making money, how do you, like, I think a lot of these guys are letting it sit in a bank account and it's yeah. yielding less than 1% a year. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, but I, I will backtrack this story when we were young boys coming into the business. My dad impressed upon us is we do never kill the golden goose never kill the golden goose. And that is the business. So he taught us about percentages, you know, how much for marketing and things of that nature so that we could run our business on percentages. And it's very critical for small companies who want to be big and big companies who are already there who want to get even bigger or just maintain. You got to know. So we, he said, it's very easy to pluck the money out. It's really hard to put it back in. And that's what I shared with Tommy back then is you need to decide how much money stays in the business so that we don't starve the business and how much money is there for growth opportunities. We were serial acquirers way before it became fashionable like it is right now. My dad and my uncle, they started back in the 50s because our area got wiped out with urban renewal and they had to go chase their customers to where they were going. So they found the best way to do it is to acquire companies. Now, organic marketing, which is billboards and trucks and anything else you call is marketing and acquisition. It's not one or the other, but for us acquisition, we found out have to be one of the cheapest ways to do marketing because any great marketing is really a hope and a wish that somebody will call you. Whereas when I acquired a company and there's many ways to do this and to be, not to be surprised, there's a manual on that we wrote is that um, there's a way to do that. And it's a spectrum, not every, it's not one size, it's a spectrum of acquisition. And when we could either buy that company, shut it down, put it under our own roof and use our own people to run who will train, we always made more money than they could ever humanly do. We took a competitor out of the market. There's a lot of different things. Sometimes we brought people on just because we needed a new skill set because we weren't always in plumbing, heating, cooling, electric. We were originally in fuel oil, which is in the Northeast. I think of propane. And I could see the end of the highway there, which is why I put us into plumbing, gas, heating, air conditioning, electric. And so... That is some of the ways to get to where you need to do. And that's why you need to have money there. But also money for this thing right here is I can fix your tech problem. I have fixed that tech problem for myself years ago. I was in a seminar in the 1980s, me and my brother, and we were 20-something-year-old guys sitting in a thing. And the guy on the stage says, the average age of the tech is trending to 50. And you can imagine as 20 year olds, we're freaking out, thinking about people being 50 in the field and you know doing this day after day. 
And that was one of these moments that we realized we had to build it ourselves and we had to change what we were doing. Now, we did a lot of mistakes. We, we built our training center, our hands-on training center, to make them better. That's not a mistake. But I would train them. Two years out in the field, my brother would call me up and go, oh, they, they don't know motor rotation. Didn't you show them? I go, I did. Then he would call me up about something else that he had found when he was out there and goes, I said, I did. I said, but they have nothing to hang on to. So we actually backtracked and wrote all the operating manuals. And when we got done, Ryan, we looked at the manuals and we looked at the training center and we said, oh, my Lord, we built it all wrong <laughs> because the manuals tell you what you need to put in that training center so that you can check them off for service and install right there, which is what Tommy's doing today at an enormous scale, but it's still built on the same concept here. Um, there are only two ways that I know that you know what I said. There's a tell me and a show me. So if you're nodding your head like Ryan's doing right now, I don't know that Ryan knows because there may be a cartoon balloon over his head and go, I'm never going to tell Al what he doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I could drive around for hours before GPS was around, before I'd ever ask anybody for directions. <laughs> and so, you know, that's just the, our ego. And so the same thing goes here is customer, uh, people are not going to let you know. So I would say, Ryan, so if you have a broken spring, what's the three first steps you, you would do? And Ryan tells me those three steps. I've got a pretty good chance of knowing that he knows. The higher level of it is we're in our training center. There's a broken spring. And now he's going to show me all of the steps it takes based on the way we do it at Al's garage door service and be able to do it. That's such a higher level thing. So training center gets built based on the manuals and the manuals and the come alive in the training center and the training curriculum, which means making you a better trainer, making sure that you know how to do training blocks and how to do this whole process. That's what ultimately makes your ability to end this cycle that's been going on since I was in 80 years, 1980s is when it was around. So again, welcome to something that's not new and it'll come and go. If you're always trying to find that magic I call it lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You know, the one guy who's got a great personality will be willing to sell. They're neat and clean. The truck is neat and clean and they do a technical repair and they get great reviews. Good luck. Try cloning that. Yeah. It's hard to find. Yep. Yeah. We, uh, so a couple of years ago, we realized that we had a really hard time finding trustworthy people in the industry um, and uh, people that would follow our processes. Cause uh, honestly, uh, we call them service professionals. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's, that's a uh, matter of fact, the electrical company, a big company calls them service professionals, yeah. which was pretty, let me give it back to you, the, the caveman time. I was called a service man. <laughs> and then yeah. I got elevated to a service tech, which I thought was, oh, okay, that feels pretty good. Yeah, and yeah. now I'm a service professional if I was to run a call which would be very dangerous for me to run a call right now. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's important if you want your people to raise the bar and be professional, you call them what you want them to be. And so I agree. I agree. We used to call apprentices helpers and it was a bad name. Yeah. And so it's not a union thing that we just call them apprentices. Yeah. So we, we actually, uh, so on, on that topic, uh, the reason why I even brought this up was, we started uh, bringing people in from outside the industry, young, young people, twenties. Um, you know, we went through a couple and they found out that it wasn't for them and that's fine. 
but we were able to find people who um, understood our vision, was passionate about it, and uh, we were able to train them up. And, and of course, I mean, there's a little bit of headache here and there, but the cool thing about it was, is now we've got people who do it our way and they don't have all the bad habits of like the old, you know, the old school people who uh, come in here. And I mean, I, I can tell you so many things that I know these guys do um, that are either, you know, theft um, or uh, not, not like following the processes. Um, I mean, any, I can look at numbers and be like, you're not following the process. Right. No, it's no question. You, you, I could look at the numbers too, and I could tell that you know you're not doing it. But I, I will caution everybody who's listening: is if you think you can do all the coaching by sitting in your office, you are dead wrong. Correct. You have to get out in the truck and do ride-alongs. And guys go, well, you know, if I'm in the truck, they're they're going to behave. And the answer is not if you're in the truck on a regular basis. It's because pretty soon they will forget that you're even there. And if you want to go one level higher, and I do recommend, because I do a sales program called Ethical Selling, because it's so critical these days, not just about getting your sales up, not just about getting your review, which it does. The bigger thing that used to keep me awake is 25 of us are doing a great job, but there's one guy gone rogue who thinks the only way they can make their numbers is to sell people stuff that they don't need. Now, I got to find that out earlier. And so we used to have mystery shoppers, which we would never tell them who that was. And we'd always just, you know, hand out a bonus or whatever if they did a good job following the system and the rest of it. But mystery shoppers, ride-alongs, you must do that. But yeah, you can do some looking at the numbers. And that's why you want to have, I like four KPIs, not 400. And I know Service Titan give you a billion of them if you want. But that's where you start getting to. Ellen Rohr, again, that I was talking about, who was a great co-consultant with me, but financially, she had a, a phenomenal line, which is, there's no reason to count how many slices of bread is on the shelf if you just need to know how many loaves there are. And so people dive too deep into stuff that's not important and will not move the needle. Yep, I agree. So the uh, we've followed up on all the processes. We've talked a little bit about leadership. Uh, we've talked about control and fear, um, how, how to utilize funds for growth. You talked about percentages, and I think this is a conversation that happens a lot. Like, um, I, I get asked the question, what percentage of my revenue should I put in marketing? What's yeah. your perspective on that? I, I will say this one has been tried true for about 20 years. And uh, before anybody freaks out, these are called rule of thumb for a reason. <laughs> do not take this as uh, the doctrine written in stone. But here's what I do know is um, if you're only doing, and this is a percentage of sales. So if you have 4% of your sales, let's put some numbers to it. You're a million dollars a year in sales. is $40,000. It really, at that point, all you're looking to do with that kind of money or fuel in the tank is to replace the people who die sick or quit. And so that's what I mean by the low level. Now, here's to back up out of this is you need to know what you count as marketing. So if I did a rebrand and put up great logos like I had Tommy do at his trucks and like I did at my own, and there's all these rolling billboards, is that a truck expense? or a marketing expense. Here's the key point is right now you need to decide what's what. If I put you in great looking uniforms, is that a uniform expense or a marketing expense? And you can make the case either way, but once you decide, that's it. It is always in that category. Otherwise it's like a, a you know a moving target you can't get to. So 
the rule of thumb again is 4%. You are not aggressive until you get about to about 10%. That's where you begin to hit the 10 aggressive. So again, using a million in sales, 100,000 of which would be dedicated to marketing. So the three things that I talk about in marketing, first of all, it's in writing. But the, mar the marketing plan, which does all this stuff about talking about, you know, um, ideal customer, target market, audience, uh, what you measure, you know, how much the lead cost is and all of this. There's really, again, a manual, which should be no surprise to anyone. But it's really about, you know, first thing first is how much fuel in the tank, which is that marketing percentage of budget. So we've already established 10% is where you are at least registering as aggressive. And then, okay, so I've got it. Now, what do I, how do I go to market, which I call marketing allocation or marketing drivers? Everybody's got a name for it. Well, there's another billion ways I can do it. I can be on shopping carts. You know, I can be on the uh, lawn signs and I can be in every digital marketing thing out there today. The thing that we learned a long time ago is that really you want to pick your three top. Now, they, when people go about ROI, return on investment, I had some high ROIs, but they only generated X amount of dollars. And I had some low ROIs, but they generated this many dollars. So you need a blend of both of those. It can't be all high ROIs and then you know low sales volume, or all of your money's plowed into uh, low return on investment, because that's, that's an issue. And so these are the things that you need to balance in your plan. But ultimately, you come down to three main drivers. That doesn't mean you wouldn't do anything else, but they get the majority of your time, your energy, and your money. And then the last piece that everyone misses, including me way back when, is the phone would go dead and we go, um, did you call up the radio people to put the ad in? <laughs> so what I teach the clients is you start with your calendar and you work backwards through the year, populating what needs to be done. So I, I am a big believer in direct mail. I have been a big believer in direct mail for the last 10 years because it works. I'm not guessing at it and I know how to do it really well and my clients do it. It's oversized postcards and it has a customer testimonial and intriguing headline. Those are just some of the basics. If you have the best piece ever and you mail it once, you wasted your money. Yeah. Know what's by your feet. Hit those your garbage can. Your garbage can by your feet. So if I don't touch it at least three times, don't send it out. And don't send it out to everyone. Pick a target target audience, 500 to 1,000, where you know that is where your customer is. And send it out over you know, a six-week period. Now you have to back up and go, they would have this piece three times. Then two, then two pieces, then one piece, and then I backing my way up to where I have custom testimonials, pieces created. This is just one good example of how to maximize the marketing calendar, which is the piece far and away, even the best miss. I love it. So we actually, uh, I've never really been a fan of direct mail, um, personally, just because I'm a more of a digital guy. I've been doing SEO since 1999, which uh, if for those of you guys who know, Google search came out in 98. Yeah. And um, th that was the days of like, you know, I got on some forum with a bunch of black hat SEO guys that were teaching me, uh, you know, write a bunch of content, the same color as the background and 
keyword stuff it into the footer, right? And so that that was uh that was my yeah start. mega tags. You know, I I know I, I know everything you're talking about, and uh, you know, early to the party helps. There's no question about it. Yeah, but it gets to be a crowded market. I'm not saying no to any of it, but I do know that it works. And I obviously am a big fan of uh, of marketing. I'm a big fan of social media, which if you're looking at me, you would think no, but I am. But I, I am a fan of it done right. Let me, re and again, done right means you put enough money to it, put enough energy to it, and you did enough objective measurement over a period of time. So one of the things is years ago, people go, was television or radio still work? I go, it works if you're willing to wait eight months to a year to know for sure. Because by the if you pull the plug three months in or six months in, you'll never know. You'll never know. And that's just some of the things that you need to do. And, you know, making sure you, if you really know your target audience, where are they hanging out? And this leads back to recruiting. <laughs> recruiting is marketing, except you're marketing to these young, willing people. <laughs> and if, if you don't know budgeting and talk about percentage, if you don't put money in the budget for always recruiting, always hiring, always orienting, always training, always retaining, you're not going to get the results. And you go, Al doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, trust me, I do. And not begin because I'm that smart. I bumped my head against every hole that I ran into. But I was smart enough to figure it out. And I was smart enough to get other people that are really great at it and make them explain it to me in as close to English that I could understand it. Yeah. So there's there's really, there's a few ways. Uh, so let's say you're maxing out your, your marketing. Um, what? I tell people all the time, your marketing dollars, the further out you go from your locations, it, I think, especially digital, um, there's a there's a point of diminished return the further out you go. Um, yeah. If you're in if you're in California, do you want phone calls from Texas? Right. But I'm just talking about even like an and you start getting 30 miles out, uh, you know, 60 miles out, 100 miles out. Uh, you know, you're, you're, it's just diminished return. So, uh, I've recently started studying, um, how to grow companies, uh, a little bit differently. And, and I don't think this is different, just different for me in my perspective. I've always been like, oh, well, we sell garage doors. Uh, but in reality, there's really two ways for you to expand, uh, that are very simple and easy to do, in my opinion. Uh, number one is you can launch additional locations uh, as a service-based which, which, which is what I did. We were, again, one shop with three spokes because Long Island, 115 miles tip to tip in New York traffic. Yep. But there's a trick to how to do that. So let's not finish that. Go and finish your thought. But okay. I want so to come back to spokes. Is expand your offerings. So yes, you're a garage yeah. door company, but you have a database of 15,000 people who love and, and refer you for garage doors. But if you were able to offer, let's say gutters and siding or entry doors and windows or roofing or whatever, yeah. uh, you can expand your services. And if the workflows are similar, right? So you want to try to find things where the workflows are similar to what you're doing. Um, the upfront investment isn't nearly as much as if you were starting from scratch a company to do those specific things. And so you just created an additional department. 
um, you find you find something that that um, that you can do. You can maybe bring somebody in, or somebody on your team may already have experience doing this, and you put them in in a position to say, "Hey, listen, if you can show me that you can lead this thing, you know, I'll put some some uh, money and effort behind it, and we'll we'll launch it." Um, and so, there's a couple of things we're testing right now, but I, I we just launched another location, and I started marketing that location when we signed the lease. Um, and now we are making over 10 X what our, our rent is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, we just opened 30 days ago, uh, not even 30 days ago, um, like two weeks ago. Um, and so that's been a huge success. It's a showroom. Um, it also gives validity to my company gives us an opportunity to take somebody from, you know, being at their house, measuring their garage doors to, Hey, do you want to come touch and feel these doors? Cause we're selling, you know, eight, 10, 20, $30,000 jobs yeah. a lot. And so they get to come in, they get to see it. And so uh, I think that helps on a couple different avenues, but ultimately it also allows me to have another market area where I can market my company. And the and if I were to try to market that location from here, where I'm at, I would have, I would do okay, but I would have some diminished value. Yeah, I'd like to jump in. I'd like to jump in. I'd like to jump in for a minute because one is I'm old and I'll forget what I got to say. (laughs) (laughs) We did that, which was again. So this is what we call horizontal and vertical. Yeah, horizontal for us was people already loved us, but really the reason I went into plumbing, heating, cooling, electric is I knew if I didn't, I would lose my customers' basement. And so even though they love the fuel, they, that's one of the reasons I went to plumbing, heating, cooling, electric. I did small acquisitions to bring in people with some know-how, but I knew already what they didn't know is I was systematic. So I, I had a plumbing manual and then I built a plumbing module in the training center. I wrote the plumbing curriculum. Then I added on gas heating, did the same thing. I read it on cooling. I added on electrical. I did exactly the same thing. And here's the whole thing is so we could do that. But vertical, we were always residential, commercial, industrial. And you have to have talents and skills to be able to do it. I am not people dependent. I am systems dependent. And then I make good people great and great people as great as they want to be. That's a big difference. I spat it out in a tenth of a second. And so the other big thing, of course, is when the drive time got where we go all the way out here, run a call and come all the way back, that's a problem. So if we know that's the area where our customers are and we want to be able to service it, we would see if we made sense to set up a hub, which I always recommend a hub and spoke. A spoke is usually an hour's drive time. Forget about miles, especially in New York. Miles mean nothing. I agree. So a spoke time. And so to set up the spoke successfully the way we did it, we would acquire a company there because there was a nucleus of calls already. And then we would market around it and we'd work two ends to the middle. And this was a phenomenal way for us to go and grow. And that's the method I've taught. Now, Tommy's in multiple states, as is uh, Keith Pinkerton, Mr. Electric. I went down there and did the same philosophy with the eight locations he's in. Problem is, if you don't have systems and you're the glue who makes everything run, you can't even expand across the street <laughs> right. and run the same way. I was telling this in a seminar, my friend, Blue Collination, Eric and Larry, started I was left- on there. Yes, yeah, yeah, so great. Yeah, right. They're great. So, Ryan. The two of them start laughing. I go, what's so funny? He goes, Al, we ran out of space. We bought the building next door, really literally next door. And it was as if that was on the other side of the earth. 
it's that's that's how much the importance of systems are to running your hub shop. But if you ever desire to get a spoke, because what Ryan's talking about and what I'm sharing here and really growing to you know your service area, you, you have to have rock solid systems. So manuals and training and hands-on training center and building your own people that know how to do your own way. And I'm talking about accounts payable, accounts receivable, CSRs, dispatchers. There's, look at those boxes. There's a lot of boxes. I call the boxes um, the bingo board, if you will. And then the manuals is how you cover each square. And yes, the manuals for the door, you know, garage door and the rest of it, Tommy sells that. Um, but if you're an IDA member, there's really great stuff out there. That's not what's holding you back. I know you think it is, but it's not. It's all these other things. And manuals are a lot of things, which is, you know, the right tone. Are you yelling at me? Remember when I started about memos? Because we can tell when you're yelling at us in your manuals. Mm-hmm. And then it's a case of manuals don't fix everything. And also this crazy notion, you have no manuals and today you're going to write the perfect one. And that's not happening. No. They're a living document. They should cover 80% of what goes on because if you can handle the 80, 20 weird will not throw you. Yeah. That I promise you. Then people go, well, my staff will all quit. No, they won't. If you do it the right way, which is what I teach in the course as they walk their way through it. That's really the, you know, the tone is it sound like it's my big brother, big sister coaching me. Is it, you know, why should I learn it? Well, if you have the right org chart, I'm here. I am today here. I can go tomorrow. I know who my boss is and I know who I can go to for help. They don't like that. They love it. They love it. And you know what they hate? They're sick and tired of you coming in and go, that's not what I wanted. Well, what am I, a mind reader? Right. You know, so yeah. actually my New York News, people go, how'd you get in the union shop? Well, here's what they did, Ryan. Bobby and I had a big, Bobby was an installer and built, you know, I found him when he was flipping pizza, it became our top of our five guys. And one day I opened up the window, hand him out a sheet when you used to do that and said, you got it? He goes, yeah, I do. And then I get there, I told him I'd be there later instead of 10 a.m., 2 p.m. And I walk around and I am horrified and what's going on, drag him out to the truck and go, this is nothing like what I wanted. And he looks at me and he goes, your brother Richie said, showed up and said, do it this way. <laughs> and I just like realized in that horrible moment, there was no way to do anything at our company. So he and I got to talking about how we could ruin each other's day if we don't learn how to play right. And Bobby ultimately coined the line that went everywhere, which is do what's in the book, you're off the hook. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and they, so they sold it to the union rep. They, they, the union guys sold nice. it to their own rep. So I want to just sit right here. This will be the final thing we talk about okay. before we cut loose. I hired a general manager uh, and it's so easy as an owner because people will ask me questions and I'll just give them an answer. Yes. And then I'll be like, you know what? Ask Josh. Um, because... I don't want to be that guy. I've hired him to run the day-to-day. And then I continuously find myself getting back involved, right? And yeah. so how, as a business owner, um, can you work with your general manager if you have one? And Yeah, yeah, really good, really good question. Yourself out. Yeah, really good question. All, early on in my career, I hated general managers. And if you're out there a general manager, don't stop listening. I hated general managers because they were undirected. They got to do everything. And they were kind of like the guy who was 
guarding the wizard. So you can never see the wizard. And plus they decided what the owners should and should know based on what they wanted to do. And unfortunately there was a lot of bad behavior that went on. Uh, so when you divide org chart and you have the key managers at the next level, and so there's not this big separation for you as an owner, and also defining a, there is a general manager manual. And the good news was I came later in my career to work with some of the best. Adam Kronberg for, for A1 is a good example. Uh, you know, Joe Haney at Lowry Services, another good example. And Rodney down in uh, at Huntsville, another phenomenal one. But they will all tell you their job got a million times easier because it's not a top-down thing. The way I teach it is the bottom is like a pyramid. That's where it makes the difference. They have the biggest and thickest manuals because your job as manager, whatever manager you are, is to hold the people beneath you accountable to the systems it takes for them to own and operate their box. And yeah. yes, there are some more KPIs for that, those manager positions. That makes a world of difference that everybody has a chance to win. Nice. Well, Al, every time I talk to you, you spur like 15 ideas. I've already messaged Tamara like two or three things. I'm like, we need to do this. We need to do this. <laughs> remind me later. We got to get together on this. Um, so if you guys are listening, listen, you got a decision to make. You can either just cruise on with life and put this in the rear view, or you can take action and schedule a meeting by the time that you like give it an hour between now and the next hour, schedule some time on the calendar, two weeks out, three weeks out, whatever, but just get it on there, block off a half or a full day for you or for your team or whatever, uh, to walk through the processes, find the gaps and build your, build your, uh, your SOPs. Yeah. Or also I would tell them, and this is not a plug for myself. This is just easier to be an editor than a creator. If you reach out to me, I offer free 30 minutes and there are already some garage door guys in it. And, uh, because you're going to need those manuals and boxes and org charts and all the rest of it. And, uh, yeah, I don't need your money. Um, listen carefully. I do take it because I am a business. Be aware. I don't think anybody should be preaching if they're not a, a, a successful business themselves, but you're not putting my kids through college for right. the difference of my mortgage payment. I paid $150,000 for a program that was a fraction of this. And so if you're asking me, it's worth it. Here's what I have to say. It's cheap, cheap. Nice. Well, there you have it. Uh, take action. If you want to reach out to Al, Al, what's the best way for them to get you? You can go to my website, number7powercontractor.com. You'll see there's a chat feature there, or you can go to al at 7 and just send me an email and uh, I'll be, you'll get a response within 24 hours, 48 hours, or call the hospital. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show and spending the time with us today. I'm really excited about uh, hanging out with you. And yeah, uh, it should be fun in November. And if uh, anybody's listening, yeah, you know what? I know you're busy. I know you're busy. That's the reason you have to come. Yep. Exactly. The excuse is the reason. Yes. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for always being so uh, such great listeners and supporters of Torsion Talk Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you check us out on uh, Facebook. We're pretty active there. So uh, Torsion Talk Podcast on Facebook. Um, if you ever need anything, feel free to reach out. I can always connect you with our guest and um, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Take care.